Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack and it's a beautiful sunny day here in London so I've come out to the terrace at Somerset House to record the introduction to this week's episode. We held a London launch party for Flaneur magazine at the Ace Hotel last week, so while everyone was setting up for that, I took the opportunity to grab editors Grishina Gableman and Fabian Soul to speak about the ambitious and original approach they took to this latest issue. The strapline to Flaneur has always been fragments of a street, but for this issue they've gone the whole hog with the fragmentation, breaking their stories into numbered blocks of text that flow through the pages. The effect is genuinely like wandering down a street and overhearing snatches of conversation or noticing strange coincidences. And it's a brilliantly inventive approach that becomes completely mind-boggling when you stop and think about the process of making the whole thing actually hang together. I've been a big fan of Flaneur for a long time now, but this is definitely their best issue so far. So if you don't already have a copy, it'd be well worth tracking one down so you can experience the whole literary wandering for yourself. But not before you listen to this conversation with Grishina Gableman and Fabian Soul talking about how they actually made the whole thing happen. Okay, so I'm here with Grishina and Fabian from Flanner. Hello, chaps. Hello. Uh, thank you very much for coming to London and bringing this ridiculous magazine with you. Um, I think that Flanner is probably one that a lot of people are familiar with, but just for anyone who doesn't know it already, what exactly is this magazine? So Flanner is always about one street uh, per issue. We started five years ago in Berlin, have done several issues uh, in um, Leipzig, Montreal, Rome, Athens, Moscow, and our latest issue is on uh, Trigge de Mayo in Sao Paulo. So, so you're kind of a travel magazine, but really not a travel magazine? Yeah, really not, as we spend a lot of time uh, on-site working with different writers, artists, uh, contributors of all kinds to reveal the hidden layers of the street to actually treat the street as a material that is uh, dealing a lot with the unseen and in that sense also is a magazine that goes to um, controversial, contradictory and also dark places, so something that a travel magazine wouldn't do. Right, so for example, the, the uh, controversial and difficult subjects in this issue you talk about uh, uh, slavery, the, the history of slavery, you talk a lot about race. What, when you're like looking for a street to cover, what, what are you looking for in that street? What are you hoping to find? It's always a very intuitive process, so actually we're not looking to find anything until we find it. And uh, for this street, it was um, a lady called Claudia, which um, we met through some contacts and she took us around. And the moment we stepped foot on the street, um, we just, Fabian and I looked at each other and there was this unspoken mutual understanding that there was something uh, very particular about the street's atmosphere. Um, and I can't really say quite why that was. I mean, I mean, I guess after a while we understood that we were kind of the center of Sao Paulo, but in a street that had a lot of qualities of the suburbs as well, qualities of the periphery, and I think that went both ways for the actual urban structure but also for the way of uh, uh, the, the narratives that are present and maybe also not present in the, um, 
in the street. And I think also we were quite uh, intrigued by the fact that when we say Trish de Mayo, which means the 13th of May, we were immediately dealing with the place and also with the time, which is the 13th of May, 1888, the abolishment, official abolishment of slavery in Brazil, which sounds like a celebratory day, but which is uh, actually a narrative of the oppressors and something that uh, when you look deeper is uh, in itself very controversial already. So you, because you set this up in the magazine, you write about how it was abolished um, on that date, but not because of any kind of ethical or moral feelings. It was an economic decision. So we've dived straight into talking about this street and its history, but we should back up a little bit. How do you even decide that you're going to go to Sao Paulo? I mean, I, I guess Berlin, that's an easy one to start with. You guys were in Berlin. But so how do you decide where you go? That's always different. So for Sao Paulo, the Goethe Institute, that's the cultural uh, institute representing Germany abroad, invited us to go. Um, and our upcoming issue is going to be in Taipei. And we're going there because we applied for a residency, which we received. And sometimes like a city um, like Athens or Rome, we actually didn't know anyone there and there was no reason and it was just an intuitive feeling. But I have to say, before the invitation came, we actually got in touch with the place through a contributor of the Rome issue who was working there. And that's how we actually got interested in maybe doing something in Sao Paulo. So, and it's, it's really random like that sometimes. I mean, I remember when we actually arrived in Rome for our uh, fourth issue, uh, we couldn't really figure out why we chose Rome. It was more of like a collective, intuitive process. And in the end, we were like... Until now, I don't think we actually found out when was the moment that we actually decided to go to Rome and why. We just ended up there, which is probably part of flaneuring in that sense as well, as the, the project, the entire project also takes that approach. So, so it sounds like the whole point of being a flaneur is that you leave yourself open to things that kind of cross your path. The, in the, uh, when you write about Claudia uh, in the, the magazine, it's this amazing flurry of text messages and, and, oh, sorry, I messed it up, I'll see you there. No, what did you, what really appealed to you about her? So every flaneur issue, there's these characters that usually don't show up on the pages, but they completely influence the way we work and what we're doing. And Claudia was one of these people who, like I mentioned, was the first person who took us on the street because she lives two minutes away from it. And um, she kind of took us under her wing, even though in the end we didn't see her very often because as you could tell from the WhatsApp messages, she was very busy. But she was this kind of um, guiding person in the background. And you need these sort of people if you're in a completely foreign place and you're doing this huge project and for this issue we wanted to give a space for these protagonists who aren't actually contributors but in a in a different sense they are for sure contributors and her uh, whatsapp messages they just became such a part of our journey and they gave us such joy and uh, yeah that we just decided to experiment with adding them in there and actually the i mean the experimental layout of the magazine again is like absolutely inherent to what you're doing with it the, i love the way that you encourage this feeling of wandering through the magazine you just have little pieces of text that are connected but maybe in a not so obvious way sometimes what, what first made you take that approach to telling these stories 
I think it's uh, regarding that a really particular issue for us because we are kind of rediscovering our own concept in a way and really wanted um, to do a magazine that really shows the process, that shows the interconnectivity, the flow of things, um, that also places our voice in there but never dominating also part of we are in a position of listening to these people, uh, to uh, meet people along the way and at the end of the day uh, together with the contributors on site we create what we call the fragments of a street and I think it's um, the beauty of it is, is that you, as you said, you also as a reader can get lost in them and you can also, uh, maybe you hear the, the same story twice from two different people, etc. So there is never like one narrative taking over and declaring uh, what is right, what is wrong. There's a plurality of voices and uh, a truth in, inside there between the lines, between the pages. And I think in a way that the, this issue, which is also particularly uh, bold compared to the others was really an attempt to to capture that process that's interesting so you say this is bold compared to the others it's big it's a, it's a big thick magazine there's very uh there's very powerful typography in there and the the layouts are, are quite challenging sometimes what is it that you think is particularly bold about this I think breaking up this structure of a magazine, like not leaving any pillars that to hold on to, not uh, catering to the idea of a magazine that we're used to, but actually allowing for uh, ourselves um, as editors and, and all the contributors and the designers as well to get lost in these fragments, to, to um, fragment them. Also, the contributions themselves are sometimes fragmented, so you, you get a, a glimpse into something that maybe reappears uh, 50 pages later. Um, it never it never fully uh, uh, makes sense as something that you can decipher, because I think everyone reads it in a different way, but it always adds something to the position before. You hear a voice and the next one will kind of tell you another secret, which maybe together they make sense. So I think that is... Uh, uh, for us as a magazine, really embracing our concept in a new way and really in a bold way, allowing it to, to, to unfold. So I'd, I'd want to know how you go about actually doing this because when you make a magazine normally, you come up with your story list, you get your flat plan and you start to say, okay, that's going to be six pages, that's going to be... But there, it's not that there are no distinct stories in this because there are little bits that pop up as individual things, but actually it's a much longer running narrative. It's a wandering thing. How on earth do you start to try and put some kind of structure on that? I don't know, looking back, how we, what, what the process was. There was a lot of just meeting and discussing the, the, the concept and how we uh, perceived the street and our reaction to it. And then also, like Fabian said, wanting to break up the the chapter thing that we had actually tried in previous issues um, and then I remember one one day we printed out every contribution we had so far and we started chopping them up so instead of having one contribution running from page 20 to 30 we looked where it made sense so we would have it out in front of us and one contribution would be in dialogue with another without actually knowingly being in dialogue so we would place them together and then Fabian and I would see where our voices would come in because our editorial voice is also indirectly always in dialogue with the contributors so it's this kind of um, fragmenting everything you have and then putting it back together it's like a reverse puzzle in a way. And also everyone is working on this for about 
four to six months, including the contributors. So as we go along, they also kind of go with us. There's never this clear system of um, commissioning or these kind of concepts that don't exist in Flannery. I mean, we kind of go uh, away together and at some point decide, all right, that's the, that's the material for the magazine. And sometimes it can be... Uh, much more than expected or much less but it's not in, in a also this is maybe different to more journalistic approaches where you define the goal of how many words how many pictures you want before you actually start working we never do that so the process comes first and the results later it sounds like a high wire act it sounds like how many times did you all get together and go this is ridiculous <laughs> like, this is not working whose idea was this yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times. And also we played around so much with the format. Should it be smaller because it has more pages? Should we do something completely different? And yeah, then it also becomes difficult because um, we have to remember what our experiences were because we don't write everything right away when we're there. We write some stuff while we're there. So then there's also a, a layer of remembering that comes on top of it and us totally projecting onto the street probably, mixing it up with uh, research. So I think with um, this issue taking quite a long time, the, the time warp probably also plays into making the stories even more fantastical maybe. And so when you're looking back on this whole process, this four, six month process, which are the stories that leap out for you as like, this is, this is what the magazine's about? I mean, I think it's the, the beauty of it is that there is really highly conceptual pieces, like for example, Zefanando, who was uh, a theater maker on, this, on the street, also a philosopher, who was very familiar with Walter Benjamin and Brecht, etc. He, he kind of did a, uh, he worked on a really long essay that is actualizing uh, some like of the his work on the street, but also a lot of like funner references. But then you have that juxtaposition with something like uh, Andre Penciado's photographic essay, who was just going after uh, looking at the meat on the street in order to reveal the meat culture uh, and, and the role of the meat in, in, in Brazilian culture. So um, it is a it is a piece that doesn't that lives without any words, but it's also very impactful and strong. Then in between there comes an hour voice where we are kind of discussing what is this function of the meat, etc. Um, I think it's really hard, I could go on like this, so it's really hard to really pinpoint down the, the essence. I think really that in this issue more than ever the essence is in between the pieces and how they communicate with each other. And I, I guess that you are always questioning yourselves and... I mean there are, there's one piece in particular in there where you very openly say actually I, I was going to take a picture of somebody and they said well don't take a picture of me what are you doing you don't come here and tell think you can tell my story that feels like it's an anxiety that runs through the whole magazine yeah I mean that, that is there's a piece by Noemi uh, Jaffa who is going back into her like uh, teenage memories on that street and that is trying to capture something that's not there anymore like the ghosts of the street that we're all always dealing with and that you can't capture even if you trying that and I think in that in that way I think that's it's actually a beautiful moment in the magazine because it goes for uh, a lot of the processes that we've been going through over the last five years uh, trying to capture something that often is invisible and how you deal with that and I think um, the, the the fragmentation of it can actually help to not try to pinpoint it down but to let it live between the lines so you had your uh, Brazil launch last week was it or a couple of days ago yeah last week 
And so you presumably got to go back and see some of these people and say, here's the magazine. How was it received? I mean, the, the most beautiful moment, um, apart from the very like, many bureaucratic issues with the Brazilian customs that we had, was <laughs> that um, we went to the, back to the Sarao. This is like a reading stage uh, on, the, on the street, which um, uh, deals with a lot of um, issues of the periphery and the center with um, uh, Afro-Brazilian history. And <clears throat> we brought the magazine there, and there were a lot of contributors um, of a Sarao that's also happening inside the magazine. And the reaction there was really overwhelmingly positive and beautiful and uh, that was a really great moment uh, for us um, and so I mean that, that's like always a little bit the um, the issue how do you do something that it, that can work locally but also can become something universal like stories that can travel this issue is the first one that's completely bilingual Portuguese and English and I think it really helped also uh, addressing the, the issue and saying we want this to work not just here in London but definitely also in Sao Paulo for those that maybe lived on the street for many years that they can also find something new in those pages. But then even just having an extra language brings a whole new set of problems and challenges. I mean, like, so it's noticeable that uh, the English through, well, not throughout, but through most of the magazine, the English is on top and it's in a slightly bigger point size. I mean, I, I'm sure this was discussed and discussed and, and talked through. What, what were the decisions when you were coming up with that? I mean, I mean, for us, the, the main thing, we did not want to present the bilingual approach as something that is completely mirroring. We didn't want to say that is the same text because I don't think a translation, a translation is always heard. There's always a different version of a text. So for the English reader, there is things, also visual things happening on the Portuguese pages and the other way around. So it's not just an, like, oh, here's the translation, I'm going to skip it and go back to the English. The idea was that also these translations are a bit like um, flowing throughout the pages so that you're also tempted to maybe confront yourself with a page where you can't read everything, but there's still something to discover. Uh, yeah, that, that was the approach we took in the end, but uh, you're right, it it, there's a lot of new uh, problems arising with it, including in other languages. So the, the next one, um, you're going to go to Taipei. Um, what happens now with Sao Paulo? Is this, is this project finished now and you don't go back there again? Or so I, I know, Kushina, you, you made a, an issue in Athens and you now live in Athens. Yeah. So the, the, it feels like you kind of you get drawn back to these places. Uh, yeah, exactly. I live a five-minute walk away from the street that we depicted <laughs> so I don't know how it's going to continue with Sao Paulo I mean there's already one contributor that uh, Fabian's for sure working with uh, for another project so um, the things always continue organically and um, with some cities we're more in touch than with others and um, yeah but for sure we'll go back at some point and keep working with the people excellent well um, I I know I probably say this every time, but this one's my favorite one. I think that like, you've done such a great job with it. So uh, thank you for coming and sharing it with us all here. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Taipei. Yeah, thank you for the invite. Thank you very much.
Okay, that's all for this week. I am totally fascinated by this open, intuitive process to magazine making that sees them immersing themselves in a place for six months at a time. Anytime I've made a magazine, I've started with a number of pages and a list of stories that I want to fit in, and their approach is the complete opposite of that, and I think it really shows. It was lovely to see Grishina again, and great to meet Fabian for the first time, and to catch up with the designers Michelle and Johannes, who were there but were staying quiet during the interview, so... I hope that you've enjoyed this week's episode and getting to know Flanner a little better. I'm on holiday next week, so we won't have another podcast out until the middle of April. But if you've enjoyed this one, search on SoundCloud or iTunes for Stack Magazines. And if you follow us while you're there, we'll be able to deliver the next episode as soon as it's ready.